Blog Talk Radio. of an empire, and you rely on the slavery of your people to keep you rich and powerful, but you see your people waking up and starting to show dissent, what would you do if you wanted to stay in power? You would sure hope that they forget about it. You would want to distract them, or even better, turn them against each other so that they forget about their original cause. The mainstream media, which we all know is in the business of maintaining the status quo, is doing a great job at doing just that. Advanced, progressive, urban, political talk radio. Politicians who are characterized more and more by legalized bribery and normalized corruption vis-a-vis that big money. By a corporate media that ensures that it's a culture of superficial spectacle but no serious public debate and public conversation for the issues that really matter for the future of the nation, but especially the future of the vast majority of the nation who are working class and poor. Or a serious discussion about drones that drop bombs on innocent peoples. Or increasing police powers that allow persons, Americans, to be assassinated without due process or judicial review. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? This is The Alpha Show. Advanced, progressive, urban, political talk radio on TruthWorks Network. There is but one rule. Hunt or be hunted. But one thing you can't deny. These people are sabotaging this economy. And people are sabotaging this country. This is awful. Hosting the best of pushback talk radio. And now, the man who's got their number. Alpha. Well, 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 good evening, good evening, and welcome to another edition of the Alpha Show here at Truth Works Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. We've got a great deal to cover this evening and in the next two hours. We will, I will be discussing with you the, a classic example classic example of how the media frames the narrative by which everyone talks about. And it makes it 
quite clear to me that there's some things we don't want you to talk about. You don't have to talk about it because they talk about something else and they fill up the news wires and, the, and all of the cable shows and regular network shows with the same narrative and they won't allow you to talk about it. One thing I found that was strange, very strange, was the absence of the jobs report numbers. Now, for the last four years, every single month, the jobs numbers would come out. They'd have the number of jobs created in the private sector, and they would have the unemployment numbers now. You can go by whichever one you want. You can stand around and say that, oh, those aren't the actual numbers, but they've never been the actual numbers. We know this. So spare me that argument. We know they're not the actual numbers. But this, these are the numbers that we've gone by for years, even before this president, knowing full well that black people, are more likely to be unemployed than likely. The numbers of black unemployment are double that of the norm in this nation. And yet, the media doesn't want to talk about it. But one thing I found that was very strange, and I saw, I saw one particular article on Huffington Post, and it simply read, jobs numbers boom. Normally, Huffington Post has the number of jobs created for that, for the previous month, but they didn't have it. Even crooks and liars didn't have the numbers. Not talking points memo, and I didn't see the numbers on um, Think Progress. Now, these are progressive sites, and I'm not seeing the numbers. So are the numbers no longer important? Are they just such a success? Corporate media doesn't want to promote the good news like they wanted to demagogue the bad news. They can't point... uh, a finger, a pejorative finger at the administration for creating X amount of jobs. You know, the year 2014 created 3.1 or 3.2 million jobs. That's the largest job growth since the 1990s, as Obama said. I should have quoted him when I was at living there. And I really didn't get his exact words. But this comes, this flies in the face of journalism. This flies in the face of the truth. Uh, PolitiFacts is a so-called honest engine of truth. And as Rachel Maddow has pointed out in so many opportunities, that that's just not the case. But 
even with the narrative that they're putting out there, you didn't see stories on the United States jobs from the previous month. And the unemployment kicked up 1%. And I heard one of the one of the um, pundits speak about that might be attributable to seasonal layoffs. Okay, fine. But that just wasn't in the in the news as it not only should be, but it not being in the news is no reason for the administration not to spike that ball in the end zone. Wave that flag and cheerlead for an accomplishment. And this is where they lack in messaging. You have one side continuing to ask the stupid question, where are the jobs, while they offer no bills to create jobs. They're all over the Keystone XL pipeline, which will contribute 35 permanent jobs and something in the range of 42,000 private sector jobs. And this is what the they're all aghast about because Obama has threatened to veto. He's vetoing jobs. Well, if you want to create jobs, if you really want to create jobs, fix the infrastructure of this nation and add 2 million jobs if you're serious about jobs. But if you're just blowing smoke, if you're just a carnival bark on the side, this is what you'll promote, aided by a partisan media, by a, a corporate-owned media. And when you get into the numbers of jobs that have been added, this, this administration has added 11 million jobs since he's been in office. 11 million. Oh, by the way, that's 10 million more than the eight years of the Bush administration. But the right is tone deaf to facts. And that's where you want to really get your dig in. And get your dig in because you're not going to be able to get that dig in too much longer. Because like we all know, they never rest, they never go to sleep, they never go home. The attack is continuous. They don't. So when they lose, they simply back up and regroup. They have absolutely no remorse, no embarrassment of being wrong. The Affordable Care Act is a job destroyer. It'll kill hundreds of thousands of jobs. Well, that hasn't come to fruition. That hasn't come to pass. And as they like to pejoratively call it Obamacare, now that it's becoming more and more successful, they are more and more apt to call it the Affordable Care Act. Did you see where the Republican Party in Tennessee has stopped the expansion of Medicare 
I'm sorry, of Medicaid to the poorest in that state. Did you see that a Republican from Mississippi has switched parties because the Mississippi Republicans have blocked the expansion of Medicaid in Mississippi, one of the poorest states in the nation. The only thing Mississippi ranks in top of is flu vaccines, not flu vaccines, measles vaccines, all kind of vaccines. That's the top of the list of people who have been immunized. Right now there are, and I'll delve into the anti-vaxxers, as they are calling it. When did it become vogue to not vaccinate your children? Measles has been eradicated, but now it's back. 145 cases throughout the country have been reported. There are five measles cases at a daycare center here in Chicago, five. So is this going to turn into an argument of autism or voluntary vaccinations? Polio has basically basically been wiped off the map as a disease. But now you can expect all of these to come back and more. It's the selfishness, it's the petty political demagogues that want to keep any and every issue, subject, topic politicized and a partisan move. That's the type of hatred that you find in most of your red states. They hate this man, this black man in the White House. How dare he? How dare he stand up for the rule of law, the Constitution, you name it. According to them, he's breaking every, every rule. He's violating the Constitution. He's doing everything. This is nothing more than petty partisanship. This is the propaganda machine that is the mainstream media. That is the six corporations that own all of the media. Propagated, promoted by evangelical Christians. That's right, evangelical Christians. And we have to acknowledge that this the psychology, the, just, the, just the ideology of it. And we can't ask these men to go back to the President of the United States with a lot of head shrink or horse shit. That's basically what it is, too. And when I tell you that it's the evangelicals, take it from someone who, whose father helped start the evangelical political movement 
and just out of pure hatred. Frank Schaefer, author, speaker, his latest book is I'm an atheist that believe in that believes in God. So what ticked Frank Schaefer off? And I think if you know, you can hear these these uh stories, you can hear these chain of events from someone who wasn't there, and you can kinda have a, you know, cavalier attitude about the authenticity. But when you get to a point and you're listening to someone who was there, someone who knows what they are talking about. It's undeniable. You can't have it both ways. His father started the movement. So if he doesn't know what he's talking about, that just makes you a denier, period. Listen to Mr. Frank So, So people can understand that. Well, you know, I come out of a background that is deeply uh, involved with the evangelical movement. Uh, my parents were evangelicals. My dad was an evangelist theologian by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And in the 1970s and 80s, I became his kind of nepotistic sidekick. And just to give you uh, an idea of what we were doing, I was flying around the country in Jerry Falwell's borrowed jet. I was the keynote speaker at the Southern Baptist Convention one year when my dad had cancer and was undergoing treatment. I filled in for him. The same with the National Religious Broadcasters. And by the time he died in 1984, I had emerged as one of these hot young evangelical firebrands who was running around, particularly talking about the issue of abortion and uh, stirring up big crowds of people. Uh, this was a precursor to the full bore religious right taking off, uh, then the Tea Party, then the takeover of the Republican Party yeah, by let the me French. Back, let me so back I, up. I was in on that stage. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, you were actually in on the stage uh, when the, the Republicans figured out the only way they can regain control of the South is to launch their Southern strategy. You had uh, Lee Atwater shows up in Philadelphia, Mississippi, makes religion and race and just basically hate the new platform for the new conservative, whether it was Republican, whether it's Tea, tea Party, whichever. Give us a little background on that. How, how does it overnight this new movement takes place and this, this horrible little character who's now passed uh, uh, Lee Atwater? Uh, and before he died, by the way, I know you know the story about him apologizing and saying, I've done horrible things to democracy. But tell us a little bit about that. You know, that. There, there's, a, there's a pivotal moment here when Jerry Falwell, who was a segregationist in the South as a, as a white preacher, trying to keep schools, churches segregated, and then he changed his mind on that and decided that a better issue to stir up people would be abortion and the, and the anti-gay crusade. But what you really see is the white strategy of the Republican Party was to displace the, the old Democratic Party in the South by essentially playing the race card. And they did this in a number of ways. One way that they did it was to very much encourage the Christian school movement and the homeschool movement as a way to keep people segregated no matter what was going on in the public schools. Another that way they did it was to come up with things like the anti-abortion movement and the gay bashing as kind of surrogates for their original for their original strategy, which was to keep the South, the conservative South, fired up on these moral issues. And since the race card didn't play very well as the 70s and the 80s began to move forward and most Americans began to have much more tolerant views, 
<clears throat> not just in the north but across the country, they began to introduce other issues to raise funds on and stir people up with. And those were the things that we got involved with, not so much on the race issue, but we were working with people like Jerry Falwell, who back in the day were segregationists and then used the anti-gay platform, the anti-feminist platform, the anti-woman platform, and eventually the anti-public school platform, where Jerry Falwell said, if I had my way, there would be no public schools. Okay, now, and, 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 that was an old segregationist talking, translating it into new moral terms, but it was still the same impulse. Yeah, in other words, the, they didn't have the the white sheets on their head. They were dressed up like politicians and, and evangelicals, but they were nevertheless the same. Now, w one thing that I think is 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 critically important uh, on your story, I, I I I followed your your father's life and your life uh, for many many years. I, I did a movie one time that you may recall. It's called Jesus Camp, and I learned an awful lot about that movement. And the thing I, I learned to respect about you, and I think everybody who knows you and reads your material, is that you, you, once you realized what was happening, once you realized how dangerous this movement was to where we were mixing religion with politics, you said, I have to do something about it. When, is that, when, when did that hit you? When, did, when was it that you said, gee whiz, this is not just about religion anymore. This is about hate division, it's about ugly racial division, gender division, class division, political division. When did that occur to you? Well, you know, just to roll back a little bit, I was brought up as a homeschooled child. My parents didn't send me to school. We were in Europe at the time. They homeschooled me. You have to understand, when I moved to the States in 1980, it was as an adult. I had traveled here with my father in the 60s and 70s when he would go Christian colleges and all these other places to speak, but I had lived in a bubble. So when I came to the States and lived here as an ordinary citizen in Massachusetts, north of Boston with my wife and three little children and began to look at the country as it really was, not as was described by the right, the, the disparity between the facts on the ground, the reality, and what I'll call the kind of Fox News version of America, it didn't exist then, but just for a present day shorthand, was so great that I began to say, well, gee, you know, we're lying. America is not being taken over by vicious gays who want to change the national agenda. The feminists are not poisonous. Uh, the right to choice is not murder. All these kind of superlative uh, hyperbolic terms we were using just didn't match the country. And then I began to really doubt my evangelical faith and say, well, you know, what else? have I been fed uh, by not just my parents and the people I grew up with, but by this whole movement. At the moment, you begin to ask those questions. For instance, sitting with Jerry Falwell uh, in his personal study just before I preached from his pulpit and having him look at me talking about gay people in America and saying to me, in all seriousness, if I had a dog that did what they do, I'd take it out and shoot it. And understanding that he was serious and he would be gladly killing gay people if he could get away with it and his kind of people would have done that, that level was not what I thought I had bought into. Look, I, I grew up in a family that was trying to reach people for Jesus, that thought abortion was a tragedy and we should provide an alternative. And somehow that began to morph into this movement. And so as a, in my mid to late 20s, as a young father myself, I just looked to the future and said, hey, I, I cannot stay here. I have to get out. I took a big hit in income because there's a lot of money in the God business. But I can honestly say the only reason I still regard myself as a spiritual person, as I talk about in this uh, book, why I'm an atheist who believes in God, still having those struggles is because I got out. The most surefire route to complete loss of faith in both this country, myself, my family, would have been to stay in the evangelical environment. It was just dead. Okay. 
Frank, let me point something out that I think the viewers have to understand. As you as they're listening to you talk, they need to understand you are regarded, and I don't want you to have to say this, but but it's the truth. You are regarded as one of the foremost critical theologians of our time. I, whether you want to say, you know, there's a few of them. There's Houston Smith wrote Wisdom Traditions, and there's there's a, there's a handful of people that I would regard as true theologians, and you're one of them. And I think the interesting thing this 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 evolution that you experienced was slow to come because of I suppose because of what evangel what every evangelical child maybe has to experience and that is the this closed world of you uh, it's it's almost a brainwashing if you will that's what I learned from the movie Jesus Camp one of the things that's happened to me because of my writing is I have a, a really big email and Facebook traffic, and I tend to answer my emails and my Facebook messages. And recently, folks who have read Why I'm an Atheist Who Believe in God tell me about their own slow emerging from a background where, you know, to be honest, people like me and they were neurologically deformed. We were trained in such a closed environment, such a small microcosm. Uh, our families, our home schools, or even Christian schools, and then on to Christian colleges and so forth, that there are so many people that when they question and they emerge, their entire identities are at stake. Their family relationships are at stake. Everything they were trained to believe. And, you know, back in the day, we always thought these sorts of things were psychological issues. But actually, neuroscience now tells us that we actually change the pathways in our brains, whether it's alcohol addiction or what I call certainty addiction. People get so used to having these pat answers for everything that when they wander from that, they literally feel naked and bereft. So I get I get poignant emails from people and messages all the time saying, you have told my story. Now, obviously, there are details that are different, but where it always converges is they were brought up in a closed environment, in a tight fundamentalist cocoon, very powerful parents who had a vision of how they should believe and live, daughters, for instance, who sometimes weren't sent to college so their ideas wouldn't be corrupted, homeschool kids that were subjected to brutal discipline sometimes, very odd and weird kind of things going on. Uh, even in the less extreme cases, a very narrow and closed view of the world. And all of a sudden, people begin to emerge from that cocoon, and it's a crisis. And I hear from them all the time. And I share that crisis with them, which is one reason I have a readership of people who call themselves either post-evangelical or fundamentalist survivors and others like that who really identify uh, with my writing and, and in the correspondence with them, I find a tremendous vulnerability in both directions. Frank, I think one one reason people like to read what you write about is you. Uh, if I were to characterize you, when I read, I, I, I hear the Sermon on the Mount. When I read what you write, I, I, I think of the Beatitudes, and I, I, I see this distinction between what I call the Old Bible and the New Bible. Uh, am I getting that wrong, or am I seeing what is what, what the message that you're really trying to put out there? Did I do it again? <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, they should do something about these mute buttons. <laughs> they really should do something about these these mute buttons. Frank Schaefer is the son of the founder of the evangelical movement. And Frank Schaefer gave you an outline, put it on blast, who these people are. And he says they were flying around for free in Jerry Falwell's jet, private jet. And as long as 
they have the money. They will spread it around for a cause. They will spread it around for a cause. And while I was on mute, I'm just running off at the mouth. Another mute moment. <laughs> I'll call it a mute moment because that's exactly what it is. I, I muted the phone and I said, well, I have to remember to unmute the phone when the clip finished. No. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't. So, I'm trying to go back and recall what I said. I'll do my best. For Frank Schaefer, and the evangelical right. And what we cannot deny, this is like a Tet Offensive. The Tet Offensive was the big push by North Vietnam in attacking the Americans and the South Vietnamese. It was successful. They call it the Tet Offensive in the Vietnam War. What we are facing here is a full broadside, the attack on not just our ideology, but an attack on our freedom. And don't forget, they're the ones who holler freedom and liberty at nausea as they move to take away women's rights and the right for uh, climate change awareness. You hear them say, oh, I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you much about climate change. But they aren't gynecologists either, but they're going to tell you everything you need to know about the ladies and the general workings of their bodies. They want to redefine rape. They want to make these social issues as the nation struggles with infrastructure repair. I'm waiting to see how many bridges they are going to allow to collapse and point the finger at the administration when the administration has been trying to get funding to fix it, trying to get a stubborn, intransigent Congress to pass legislation to fund the repair of our infrastructure. How many Americans are going to die? How many Americans are going to die because you have red states that won't expand Medicaid to treat poor people before they have something irreversible, before they die from lack of treatment, before the Affordable Care Act, 45,000 people a year die because they did not have access to a doctor. The two death piles are run by the politicians. by the lobbyists. How many people will have to die as long as it's poor and people of color, brown people, be they black, be they Hispanic, they don't care. And that's why the truth must be spoken. Because if the shoe were on the other foot, they would have the radio turned up to 12, demagoguing these issues. They demagogued Benghazi. It fell flat. 
they demagogued fast and furious, even though it was a Bush program. They demagogued everything. The IRS. They demagogued. And all of these manufactured scandals fell flat. But they control the narrative. They are the directors of what is and what is not going to be discussed in our culture. 914-338-1610. You know, I can say that there is a <clears throat> a victory of sorts for common people, for everyday people. Because there was a, I would say there was a decision made by the FCC. And this decision by the FCC was on net neutrality. And I had heard um, reports and stories throughout the media speaking about the way the head of the FCC was going to handle this big idea of net neutrality. And when I say handle the net neutrality, I simply mean how are they going to, when I come back, we will delve into that particular story because it is an interesting story. Be back in a few minutes. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real, raw, right now. If it's real, raw, right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Isn't it time for you to upgrade your topic? Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Empowering Black America to achieve itself. Our Common Ground, where friends come to meet comrades. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., Our Common Ground, powering up on Black Thought. This is TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative, where the truth is spoken more than once. Thank you so much for your support and joining us tonight. 
welcome back. 914-338-1610. Let me go to the phones. 678-678, thank you for calling the Alpha Show. Welcome to Kim Sorge Channel. Talked about medicine, and you said they treat the symptom but not the cause. And whenever we have, it's always by treating the symptom and not the cause. No, the cause is is this one. I'll come back to you. I'll have to come back to six, seven, eight. I think he's um, away. He may be tired from work, but then if I who I think it is, he ain't got no job. I was speaking before I went went out on a small break. Um, there is a movement in net neutrality, and I couldn't get it. The explanation in and of itself not so much escaped me, but um, I found it very interesting, and I didn't record it all. But this small piece is what I did get. Participation this week, the chair of the Federal Communications Commission unveiled what he calls, quote, the strongest open Internet protections ever proposed by the agency. In a blog post published Wednesday on the website of Wired Magazine, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler backed the regulation of Internet service like a public utility to uphold net neutrality, the principle of a free and open Internet noting he used to think that the FCC could assure Internet openness through a determination of commercial reasonableness, Wheeler wrote, quote, while a recent court decision seemed to draw a roadmap for using this approach, I became concerned that this relatively new concept uh, might down the road be interpreted to mean what is reasonable for commercial interests, not consumers. That is why I am proposing that the FCC use its Title II authority to implement and enforce open Internet protection. Wheeler's plan will let the agency prevent Internet service providers like Comcast from blocking access to websites, slowing down content, or providing paid fast lanes for Internet service. It would also extend such protections to Internet service on cell phones and tablets. Wheeler Discuss the plan on PBS NewsHour. What we're doing is we're taking the legal construct that once was used for phone companies and pairing it back to modernize it so it specifically deals with this issue. So it's not really utility regulation, but it is regulation to make sure that there is somebody watching out for the consumer, that like you said, there's no paid prioritization, there's no blocking, there's no throttling, and most important, there will be ongoing rules in perpetuity so that there'll be a yardstick to measure what's fair for consumers. Tom Wheeler, a former lobbyist for the cell phone and cable industries, was not initially expected to take such a strong stand on net neutrality. His proposal comes after the FCC received a record-setting number of comments, nearly four million, almost all in support of strong protections. By comparison, Janet Jackson's accidental exposure of her breast during the 2004 Super Bowl triggered 1.4 million comments to the FCC. On Wednesday, Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts hailed Wheeler's proposal. Today is a day where consumers and innovators, entrepreneurs, anyone who counts on the Internet to connect to the world is going to now be protected in the 21st century. Reclassifying broadband under Title II is a major victory. 
for our economy, for our consumers, and for free expression of ideas. That was simply part of the of the um, interview, and thanks to Democracy Now! and the um, Mr. Garcia and Ms. Goodman, Amy Goodman and Ron Garcia, uh, there was more to that interview because just as you heard, the FCC, and they will vote on this on the 26th of February, and according to sources, and I'll say sources simply because they are not confirmed, but they have enough votes to implement this. But now comes the time, the 20 days of intense lobbying that they are going to experience. You see, like I said, they never go home. They never quit. Verizon is threatening to file suit. Now, get this. And Verizon filed suit to have it one way. And now that they got their way, they won that suit. And now that the FCC is taking it that way, and they flipped it on Verizon, now Verizon is threatening to sue to have it put back to, to the, the way it was. And I say that because it was interesting to me, the, um, the, the entire narrative of Verizon. I'm going to uh, go into a little more of the, um, a little more of the uh, clip because I think this is interesting to hear. Utility? It's not, it, this is a remarkable victory. It is a true David and Goliath story, except in this instance, there are 4 million Davids who contacted the FCC. There are 100,000 more who have been calling members of Congress, and we've turned conventional wisdom on its ear, where everybody thought at the beginning of the year that the cable lobby would simply write this rule and be done with it. That has changed completely. What Chairman Wheeler has done is proposed Title II protections, which are not public utility protections in the Senate, where he's focused is on the issue of discrimination. And the reason that they call this new media is it's not like old media. It's not like television. It's not like radio. Uh, it's not like newspapers. Those are one-way media. This is a two-way communications media. And the rule that he proposes protects two-way communications to make sure that the provider, the carrier of that information cannot discriminate. Well, uh, Tim, uh, Verizon released a statement called the FCC Chair Wheeler's proposal counterproductive. It said, quote, the FCC can address any harmful behavior without taking this radical step. And the company warned that heavy regulation of the Internet will create uncertainty and chill investment among the many players. Well, the, the irony about Verizon is that this whole process began when Verizon sued the FCC an earlier rule that was insufficient and didn't use the Title II authority. The FCC lost that lawsuit and is now proposing Title II, which is the proper solution. Now Verizon is claiming that they want to go back to the old system, the one that they sued for. So Verizon has put forth all sorts of arguments. They've said that it will cripple investment, and then their CFO went before investors and said Title II won't in fact affect investment in any way. So you will be hearing this sort of noise from the voting table lobby as February 26th approaches. That is the day of the vote. What Wheeler has done via wire, PBS, 
some other outlets, but we don't really know the fine details of the order. Well, it seems to me one of the interesting things about this in terms of the public response is that we've now seen over the last decade or so numerous major battles occur uh, over the question of media policy, communications policy. The country usually not covered by the commercial press, yet uh, thinking back to 2002 with the old uh, major media uh, murders uh, under Chairman Powell uh, during the Bush administration, two million people uh, commented to the SEC opposed to it. Uh, now we've had this four million people on, on the issue of net neutrality. So you've seen this enormous public movement despite the fact that it's not being, uh, the commercial media are not paying attention uh, to these major policy battles. Well, and just let me say this. What you just heard is the coming, and I call it the coming because that's exactly what it is. You see, the, the muddy waters, of mainstream media are being drained. The internet will emerge. Slowly but surely, the internet will emerge as the prime communications when it comes to news, when it comes to information. You see, as porous as the truth is that it will be flooded with everything from just flat out lies to usable information and it's going to actually leave it to the consumer to figure out which is truth or which is simply folly. And I'll say this and I'll continue to say it. Rush Limbaugh has turned talk radio into a toxic. Internet radio is growing by leaps and bounds. Last I heard, there are over 45,000 internet radio programs. And that was a year or two ago. So this ruling is a big victory for net neutrality, for the preservation of freedom on the Internet. But do not gather your chairs and your shoes and your everything and go home because this ruling, this this indication of which way the head of the FCC is going to drag this is surely under a full attack from the right, from the corporate media, from the corporations. This was their opportunity to seize complete control of all communications. And now that that's in jeopardy, this will be balls to the wall to try to destroy what's going on. This will, this will come uh, more rapidly than the attempt to destroy Dodd-Frank. 
You see, because if they can control every bit of media, nothing can get out. No information will be available to critical thinkers and people who can distinguish the difference between their flat-out lies and common-sense truth. You see, we are at a huge disadvantage as progressives and liberals simply because we don't have the money. And when I say because we don't have the money, we don't have the money on our side. There are too many millionaires and billionaires who seek to destroy our ability for honest communication. And this is how they roll. And this is how they will roll. Their destruction of net neutrality has hit a snag. And they're coming full bore. And everything is fair because this is war. And this is how they will treat it. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for the attack on the LCC. Four million people, four million contacted the FCC opposing this new approach to taking over the Internet. And that's, I do really believe that's what swayed this former lobbyist. And that's good news. That's very good news. So let's have, um, let's stay on top of it. At least stay on top of it because we need to keep that freedom. See, we can talk about freedom because we mean it. They can't because that's what they want to take away from everyday people, the commoners, the common people, the peasants. Not only don't they want them to have a voice, they want them to be silenced. And that's where the danger is. The danger is simply, are we going to allow this to happen or do we get a a break and who's going to run the Internet? One of the, one of the topics that mainstream media framed was the death of the Jordanian pilot at the hands of ISIS. And I posted it in the chat room because... We ain't scared. I posted it in a chat room because it's the truth. You know, Fox News aired still frames of this pilot being burned alive so that they can promote fear, so they can carry that dirty water. And yell and scream, what's Obama doing about it? 
What's Obama? What? What? They, they turn to me. What is Obama going to do? What's Obama? What he should be doing? And bring on the John McCain. You see, propaganda. You must understand. You must understand that propaganda not only conflates, it it bends and distracts you from the truth. And what did Jordan do? They executed the people that they were trying to negotiate for. Listen, this pilot was already dead, and they're trying to negotiate for the freedom of two of their comrades. What did Jordan do? Jordan hung them both. The word was Jordan was going to hang six of them. They may still do that. But at some point, there's got to be this, this, there's got to be a reckoning. You know, this, this, this deal about, you know, ISIS pushes out. Now, Jordan bombs some ISIS positions, and they come out with more propaganda. Oh, Jordan just killed an American woman. The American woman that supposedly has been killed by the Jordanian bombing strike was a missionary worker that ISIS abducted. Now, how do you free yourself from that? How do you free yourself from blame? How do you shift that blame over to the Jordanians? When you kidnap the woman on the, I believe she was somewhere on the Syrian border or in Syria, come on. Come on. And the propaganda seems to be aided by the mainstream media who wants to push the fear, who wants to push the, oh, we got to put boots on the ground. I don't think it's going to happen. Republicans attempt to put poison pills in uh, needed legislation and keep the Department of Homeland Security funded. Homeland Security will shut down. If Obama doesn't sign the bill loaded with the poison pill to limit his executive action. This is completely nuts. This has absolutely nothing to do with governing. And Democrats seem to be just, it, it, it just, it reeks of cowardly incompetence that the rich Democrats, they want to make it seem like they are for the middle class. And they do dresses and they offer up Ideas that they know will never pass. You see, all of the stuff that this president has offered up now is what he should have been going hard with when they had the majority. Kill the filibuster. Kill the filibuster. You don't worry about losing the Senate. You worry about what you have, and and it's the power. And he didn't do it. 
budget reconciliation he should have used to bring in public option or universal health care for all, and you wouldn't be in the Supreme Court battle worrying whether or not the Supreme Court is going to take away health care for over 10.5 million people. They should have used the power when they possessed it for infrastructure repair, for a bigger stimulus package. That's leadership. Walking around with a damn olive branch begging for bigots to love you. That's not leadership. Let them whine because that's all they've done anyway is whine and obstruct it. Mitch McConnell is whining because two bills have been filibustered. Well, we'll, we'll let you catch up. Let's let's wait until we catch up, and then we'll listen to your whine. They whine about Obama's not listening to the to the will of the people, just like you didn't listen to the will of the people in 2012, and you didn't listen to the will of the people in 2008. The Democrats in 2008 were simply too weak, to rule as if they had a majority. They allowed the minority to rule. And now he's offering a free college. It's six years too late. Now he's offering up bills to tax the rich and transaction taxes on Wall Street, stuff that will never, never pass. You can set it up for 2016, but it still won't come to fruition. You still won't get the things done that you want to get done. Can't you use the same tactics that Republicans will definitely use? Or you let the Republicans get the White House and control the Senate and control the House. Bye-bye, Social Security. Bye-bye, Medicare, Medicaid. Bye-bye, food stamps. Bye-bye, all of the social safety nets that keep this country as peaceful. They will create the atmosphere for civil war. They will enhance gated communities. See, here in Illinois, classic example. Illinois voted. We now have a Republican governor. But here is his problem. There is a veto-proof democratically-led legislative body. So it doesn't matter. But here's what Bruce Rauner is proposing. He's proposing the minimum wage to go up a quarter a year. A quarter a year until it reaches $10 an hour, which means that'll be by 2019. But this is what's more embarrassing than anything, that the democratically-led state senate and state house, they're proposing an $11 an hour minimum wage, but it won't come to full fruition 
until 2017. By 2017 and by 2019, it'll be time for $15 an hour. I mean, just damn. Just damn. How out of touch can you be? How mindless. You wanna you wanna take this country so far back that everywhere we turn will be forward. Every step will be something of a thank goodness moment. Minimum wage should be $12 to $15 an hour now. All these going to kill jobs. Every state that has introduced and raised the minimum wage has seen greater prosperity. People have more usable income. People are buying more things. And that seems to be oblivious to these people. With all this talk about these progressive uh, solutions that this president has brought about, and all of this progress in the economy, he's about to kill it with fast track of TPP. And you watch when TPP is passed, and it will be passed, there will be a louder sucking sound. It's really inexplicable. You know, since the Korean free trade deal has gone through, it is reported we have lost something in effect of 60,000 jobs and that our trade deficit is on steroids as it jumps upward by leaps and bounds. It's up to $26 billion. started out as at $11 billion. More than doubled, and yet we continue to pass these trade deals because this is a global economy now. Well, looks like we're getting run over all over the world because everywhere, every time you turn around, our trade deficits are going up. Are going up when people you hear people talk about protectionism and starting a a trade war. If anybody wants a trade war with the biggest consumers on the planet, and that is the United States, bring it. Bring it. But now nothing is possible. Not tariffs, not anything that will bring about fair trade rather than free trade. And that's what we should be concerned with. We should be concerned with fair trade, not free trade. As a nation, we should be made in America conscious. And to hell with everybody else until we get on our feet. We've lost over 60,000 
factories, not jobs, factories. We manufacture nothing since the year 2000 on the age of Bush and deregulation and tax breaks for the corporations and the wealthy went into effect. We have a disconnect with reality, disconnect with the middle class. Goals, and as it rolls on, they will literally destroy the middle class. The middle class will be no more. And just let me say here for the don't know, I'm going to say, run, Janice, run. Oh, my good friend, the CEO of TruthWorks Network, my big sister, my secretary. <laughs> uh, after a 32-inch snowfall uh, a couple of weeks ago, they're looking for another foot. Now, just let me say this. Don't come out. It's, you know, we got, we got, what, 19 inches, and now it's up to 24 inches here in Chicago. But let me put it like this. These people won't allow. They will not allow Rahm Emanuel to sleep on the snow. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I mean, no, I'm not going out there. <laughs> but um, Rahm Emanuel has put his foot in the behind of street and sanitation. They've come up the side streets plowing. They've come up, the, they've gone up the alleys plowing. See, here in Chicago, we have alleys where we sit our garbage cans. We don't sit our garbage cans in front of the building. Sorry. I haven't been able to get my head around that New York thing. Let the rats run out front. I, 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 I guess there, 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 there are no bats. But uh, just, it, it's incredible. To me, it's incredible that particular part of uh, that New York City uh, effect there because uh, I I just don't see it. Don't see it. And it's my understanding that uh, the garbage on the front is attracts more rats because they've got these these sewers right there at the curb where the rats come from. And that um, in the daytime the rats are down in the sewer lifting weights. <laughs> oh, uh, I know, I know. But um, that's just what it is. And hopefully, I'm glad we didn't get that kind of snow because we never would have picked and gotten the garbage up on the front, on their stoops, as they call them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 914-338-1610. Give me a call. 
tell me about the net neutrality. Tell me about these link that I posted. And the link is literally, literally, the feigned indignation of the American people and their response to the burning of the Jordanian pilot when Christians used to burn black people in the name of Christ and in the Bible. And like I said, Fox News put out still photos of this Jordanian pilot for effect just so that they can continue with the fear mockery. I want to put this uh, this particular link. Addictinginfo.org is the name of the news outlet. And um, it has photos of the charred remains of some poor black guy. after the bigots in this nation have had their way. It is mind-boggling to me the selective amnesia that not only the media has, but these white folks, this white privilege crowd, and the selective amnesia that they have as far as What the hell this nation was involved in, what the hell this nation did, the history of this nation. Hey, somebody tell me something. Here's a question. Can Chuck Todd get any more exposed? Chuck Todd's lack of education to understand foreign policy. That's in um that's on Crooks and Liars. And I forget which program it was on last night, but uh, there was an uh, open carry gun nuts in Texas. They literally went into a state legislator's office and threatened him. And I and I don't understand why this this legislator didn't call the police. Hispanic guy. Hispanic guy. Now, here you got open carry guys in the office, got their foot in the door. He's trying to tell them to leave. They won't leave, and they got their foot in the door, and they tell them they delivered the threat to Texas lawmakers. Treason is punishable by death. You don't follow the Constitution as they see it, as they see it, and they use the term treason is punishable by death. And it's not like they were trying to hide their faces. But at some point, somebody's got to step up. You know, in New York, you have people with Facebook threats 
and they were going and arresting them. You got a group of gun toters who go to the state capitol, to the office of a legislator, and threaten his life. And nothing. I guess it's because it was in Texas. An open carry law is good, even at the state house. At some point, you got to reel in these gun nuts. The government backed down at the Clive and Bundy Ranch. And it's the gun nuts are being emboldened. Now they're talking about open carry march in Washington, D.C. When open carry is against the law. I've marched. Hell, the government's going to back down. Rather than meet you with National Guard armed troops, Where's the tanks and the machine guns now? Oh, they aren't black. I thought maybe I would not have to say that. But uh, I was wrong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 914-338-1610. Engage me. Humor me. Why can't we just all get along? (laughs) Why can't we all just get along?
power is paved with hypocrisy. This is the Alpha Show, advanced progressive urban political talk radio on TruthWorks Network. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is how we do it. It's Friday night. The Alpha Show. Please welcome Ernestine Johnson. Black girl, because I'm so well-spoken, poised, full of etiquette, a white man's token. You know, I remember my ex's mother telling me I didn't know how I was going to react when he brought home a black girl, but I like you because you talk so white. Well, when did me talking right equate to me talking white? They say I'm not the average black girl. No, 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 not the average black girl because the pigment of my skin is just a shade lighter than that black girl over there. You know the black girl over there, the black girl with the nappy hair, the black girls whose elbows can't skip a day without lotion whose hearts and heads are filled up with self-hate and bottled-up emotion. The cocoa brown girls who have to face society every day and be tough, because no matter how good they straighten their hair, their good is still not good enough. Oh, see, luckily for me, see, I don't fall in that category. See, they say I'm not the average black girl because I speak with so much class, and I don't have too much but just enough ass, and not too much but just enough pizzazz. You know, just, just a little bit of attitude, because you don't want to come off as one of those average black girls and come off as rude. You know, popping their gum and shaking their neck. Yeah, because those black girls get, like, no respect. But see, luckily for me, see, I get a pass, because the melanin in my skin matches that brown paper bag, and my father, brother, and men that I date pants don't sag. And when I speak, my tongue pronounces every syllable. And the combed part down the middle of my hair is naturally visible. Oh, oh, it must be a weave, but she must be mixed, because we all know the average black girl ain't got that good or when I walk into a room full of white men, they all stare. It must be the long length of my unaverage black girl hair. See, see, they say I'm not the average black girl because I corrected the professor when he used the word conversate. Converse. The word is converse. And in case you didn't get the memo, there are now eight, not nine planets in the universe. And when you're watching the numbers on your stocks move up and down, remember Oklahoma in a small town where one of the first Wall Streets was a black Wall Street that got mysteriously burned down? Oh, they say I'm not the average black girl. Well, let's flip the script and rewind this repaint the lines that had been blurred over time because the average black girl that I know, see, the average black girl that I know made 19 trips through the Underground Railroad to free the slaves sat on segregated buses, refused to get up and pave new waves. See, the average black girl that I know, the average black girl that I know were Egyptian queens like Hatshepsut and Nidocris who were ruling dynasties and whole armies of men. Excuse me why I set fire to this poem on my pen because I am tired. Tired of the stereotypes black girls have fallen into because of American mentality. Oh, but not half as tired as Ella Baker, Diane Nash. Septima points that Clark, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, Daisy Bates, Anna Arnold Hedgeman, and Dorothy Height are far more tired than I am. But do you think the ones who say I'm not the average black girl even give a damn? So pardon me if I can't openly accept your compliments. Pardon me if I can't openly accept your compliment. It's just the average black girl that I know. The average black girl that I know had courage that surpassed her every fear and fought for justice and equality year after year. So as I construct these words, pardon me as I shed a tear, because I'm not half the black girl she was. 
I am not half the black girl she was. See, there's a minor clause. See, she was out there fighting, breaking, and changing laws. So I bow down to my black queen standing in the merit of her work. And as America's society continuously throws these supercilious words unto me, I say no. I'm not the average black girl. I can only aspire to be. Thank you. The truth is out there. Who can't win their fights through elections, can't win their fights in Congress, can't win their fights for the presidency, and can't win their fights in the courts. For this right-wing minority, hostage-taking is all they have left. A last gasp of those who cannot cope with the realities of our democracy. People are fucked. You're living in a dream. I don't like that talk. Less bitching and more building. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Saturdays, 10 p.m. This week at Our Common Ground. Open mic night. Open mic. Saturday night. I'll be listening for you. Well, it won't be open mic night. Tomorrow night, 10 o'clock Eastern, our common ground, host Dennis Graham. Topic, prison reentry program, Brooklyn, New York, the Osborne Center, the old Fulton Prison. That will be the topic. Join Dennis Graham tomorrow evening, 10 o'clock Eastern, at our common ground here at Blog Talk Radio. And Tuesday nights, I hope India is feeling better. She's a little under the weather this Tuesday, but uh, she's charging back next Tuesday. The I Declare Show, host India Declare, here at Blog Talk Radio. Don't miss it. I'm simply happy to have the audience, people who will take the time to listen to our broadcast and hopefully pass on some of the things that we all learn. You know, all you have to do is go to these websites and just, 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 here you got the attack by Scarborough and all the Laura, what's it, Laura Ingram. They're all pissed off because Obama called Christian terrorism Christian terrorism. The Christians don't have clean hands. Never have. The Christian Crusades. And we burned women because of a religious ignorance. The evangelical Christian movement has stoked the flames and fears, the flames of racism and the fears of the boogeyman. 
the meme of they're coming for your guns to they're trying to take your liberty and freedoms away. You see, just as you heard Elizabeth Warren say, they can't win legislatively. They can't win in the courts. So what do they do? As a minority, they act like petty little children, and they obstruct, regardless of the damage it does to a country. And it doesn't help that you've got a blue dog in the White House who's pushing a trans-Pacific that will claim the sovereignty of the United States. And that will be the biggest. That's how they're going to get away and get rid of regulations by pushing this trans-Pacific trade agreement because it will destroy the regulations and the sovereignty of this nation by turning it over to a corporate court. And if you've got regulations and the EPA won't allow you to do this, they'll sue the taxpayers of America because they've lost profits. As they part profits, trillions overseas. And just the idea of taxing them just a little bit more. You see, you can't pay a one-time tax to repair the roads that your corporation uses and to fix up the infrastructure, to invest in educating the children, invest in college. Somehow that one-time tax is going to change your way of life. You rich, bitter, stingy millionaires. And what did Paul Ryan do? He comes out and calls it wealth envy. And nobody said a word. And rather than countering with obnoxious greed, put out there one of the most ridiculous talking points. But they're free free to do it because the mainstream media will tighten up on any pushback. They will make sure that it doesn't hit airtime. PolitiFacts, like I said, the hysteria of Fox News is lying more than ever. Um, all I can say is it needs to be looked into because every single time you hear a story coming out of Fox, it's a lie. And I wasn't going to talk about it because um, there's so many. The, the nation was stunned for the 49th Super Bowl. I might as well get it out of the way. It has to be the worst call in the history of sports anywhere. And I got to say, it wasn't looking too good. I had the Patriots. I had the Patriots to win. And um, 
They did everything they were supposed to do. And um, miraculous, unbelievable, call it a lucky catch, if you will. But uh, it got them close. Imagine being on the inside the one-yard line. And out of the shotgun, you raise up to throw a pass on a pick play that a rookie jumps. You get intercepted and you lose the Super Bowl. Now, spend the rest of the all season wringing your hands and shaking your head and doing all of the things that the Seattle Seahawks must be doing. They played a very good game. It was, the game in and of itself, both teams, both teams played a very good game. Tom, terrific, also known as Tom Brady. And I know a lot of people don't like Tom Brady. I like Tom Brady because he throws a football. Deflated, inflated, he throws the hell out of this football. And he hits his man in stride. And that's their offense. I give them kudos for the defense that they play. Because, oh, is that crazy? <laughs> that's the Skype ring. Someone, and I don't go nameless because it's a granddaughter, uh, decides to call me while I'm on the air. Oblivious of my schedule. <laughs> you mean you can't pick time. When I'm not on the air, the other six days of the week, I'm only on the air two hours. And that's when you chose to call me. But I digress. I speak um, fondly of my granddaughter who was just engaged to be married. Um, I guess I'll have to be taking another road trip. Yes, this road trip, you know, as this, this program creeps to a close. And I do mean creep. If this program creeps to a close, um, I'm collectively racing through my mind. Oh, what am I going to eat? <laughs> it's time to eat something. But I'll probably give it a pass. Uh, I'll have to give it a pass because I don't think um, my odds uh, are looking out for me as they head in from the bowling alley. I don't think they're looking out for me at all. But we have a a very, I would call it a crisis because this president can offer up as many solutions that will help us within the face. And, it, and this is how, this is how bold and blatant Republicans are. They called for the collapse of the economy because this president's policies weren't right. They use words like holding back uh, 
investments and uncertainty in the banks. And, and they just don't know where the economy is going. Gas prices have fallen. Employment is up, but not in our community. Unemployment is down, and yet they still use the same buzzwords. Obamacare is a job killer. Millions have lost their policy. You know, after a while, I can only say just allow this to continue because this is what's going to destroy mainstream media. These six corporations that have invested, this is what's going to undermine their lack of honesty, their lack of any type of bipartisanship. You know, it could have been argued, you know, MSNBC seems to be the only network that even offers up a a small set-aside for progressive thought. And that progressive thought has basically brought a lot of anxiety to the right. Because with them, if anybody is hearing a message different than the propaganda that they put out, it's a danger to them. And that's why the Internet will simply grow. Internet radio will bust at the seams as new programming continues. And I just hope that there is a a better understanding of facts and the truth. You see, Fox News has made the truth a option. <laughs> facts are an option. You know, February is here and Black History Month is here. Bob Marley celebrates his birthday today. Hey, he's still been with us. But let me just say, there are quite a few things that we as a people simply don't cling to. We don't hold on to them as a people. We simply allow someone else to tell our story. We don't have a grasp of who we are or where we come from or where we're going. So therefore, we have no community patronize our own, we have no community. So what's left? Are you kidding me? Really? You're buzzing me for low battery? I only have 15 minutes left. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yes, that's the phone. Like I was saying, let me, with Black History Month upon us, Black Wall Street. You see, 
we had a Wall Street. This Wall Street was a group of 600, 600 businesses, 21 churches, 21 restaurants, 30 grocery stores, two movie theaters. We had six private airplanes. We had a hospital. We had a bank. And we had our own school system. That's what made a black Wall Street. That mysteriously burned to the ground. Thousands murdered. You could deny all you want. You see, when you hear people, especially white people, say, Move on. Get over it. Slavery, get over it. But we don't ask the Jews to get over the Holocaust, do we? We don't ask that America gets over Pearl Harbor, do we? We don't ask. Always remember 9-11. We don't ask you to get over 9-11. So when you tell me to get over, just get over slavery. When you tell me to forget that 180 million Africans were kidnapped and on that boat ride over here, 88% died and were dumped in the Atlantic Ocean. How about that for a Holocaust? You want to talk Holocaust? You want to talk moving on? And it's not just the boat ride over here. It's after we got here. You give the Chinese, not the Chinese, you give the Japanese reparations. At least the Indians have casinos, even though they are living in squalor. Now you're trying to take their land with eminent domain for a foreign nation to push the Keystone XL pipeline. Even in the 22nd century, you cannot honor the treaties with the red man, Native Americans. It simply feeds into that narrative, who can you trust? And it's rather obvious that we can't trust them. They are not trustworthy. You can't tell me that It's raining. And he pissed down my leg. There seems to simply be that we are just unwilling to accept. Could it be because we've gotten uppity? Or is there a Is there a battle going on? 
uh, what do they call it, a duality duel. And I like this particular piece, and I hunted it down, and I uploaded it from, I believe, it's from Def Jam Poetry, the spoken word. There's a battle going on inside of me between my well-crafted external persona and an internal force trying to break free. It's a battle, you see, between the nerd and the nigger in me. Can the nerd and the nigger coexist? They're going to have to, nerd. But nigger, it doesn't make sense. I didn't spend four years in the Ivy League learning how to think, talk, and feel in order to jump into a rage every time they try and kill me. But the truth is, nerd, I've always been around when that poison ivy bullshit was beating your ass down. These strong nigga arms, they held you, told you not to feel it, gave you time enough to heal it and become a nerd again. But nigga, <laughs> all you seem to feel is rage. And that will keep me out of their circles and off the front page of the New York Times and the Daily News. Not if you shoot a motherfucker. <laughs> and that's my point. You are more than that cold, stony glare, those weighty timberlands and that nappy hair. Oh, hold up now. No, nigga, that rage is like a cage that keeps love out and you in jail. Burning a nigga, thug nigga hell. Ah, oh, shut up, nerd. You ain't heard a word I said. I gotta smack you upside your well-brushed head. Without me, there is no you. Now, wait a second, nigga. Let's talk this through. Nah, nerd, journey to the nigger in you. I've been styling long enough. I got your ass through school. Gave you time enough to learn they rules. Now the time has come for you to pay your dues. Because these little niggers in the streets, they need you. But they think they can't relate because you act all removed. When the truth is, nerd, what they are is you. Because no matter how hard you try to deny the way you think, talk, and feel, your daddy still smoke heroin. Your brother still on crack. Ghetto nightmares still haunt your dreams and your mama is still black. I ain't saying you gotta become me, but this one thing is true. Inside you is a hard-ass nigga. You gotta let come through, because this assimilating bullshit will surely beat you down, and if you choke me long enough, my nerd, I will not stick around, put the strut back in your walk, say what you really feel, be all of you, so all of us can heal, the time for lying and denying is through, it's time, nerd, journey to the nigger in you. Yes, yes, that's for all of the rebellious black. Because it's the truth. That's what it'll bring out in you. If you let it, there's some who will forget it. There are those who will just look upon it as just a new, a brand new, um, how do you see it? the brand new comfort zone that you must have. It's one of my favorites, and I'm going to close with this. And I'm going to try to close with this in this way. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. world is coming to an end. The air is polluted, the oceans contaminated, the animals are going extinct, the economy's collapsed, 
Education is shot, police are corrupt, intelligence is shunned, and ignorance rewarded. The people are depressed and angry. We can't live with each other, and we can't live with ourselves, so everyone's medicated. We pass each other on the streets, and if we do speak, it's meaningless robotic communication. More people want 15 seconds of fame than a lifetime of meaning and purpose because what's popular is more important than what's right. Ratings are more important than the truth. Our government builds twice as many prisons and schools. It's easier to find a Big Mac than an apple. And when you find the apple, it's been genetically processed and modified. Presidents lie. Politicians trick us. Race is still an issue. And so is religion. Your God doesn't exist. My God does, and he is all-loving. If you disagree with me, I'll kill you. Or even worse, argue you to death. 92% of songs on the radio are about sex. Kids don't play tag, they play twerk videos. The average person watches five hours of television a day and it's more violence on the screen than ever before. Technology has given us everything we could ever want and at the same time stolen everything we really need. Pride is at an all-time high, humility an all-time low. Everybody knows everything, everybody's going somewhere, ignoring someone, blaming somebody. Not many human beings left anymore, a lot of human doings, plenty of human lingerings in the past, not many human beings. Money is still the root of all evil, yet we tell our kids, don't get that degree, the jobs don't pay enough. Good deeds are only done when there's a profit margin. Videos of the misfortunes of others go viral. We laugh and share them with our friends to laugh with us. Our role models today, 60 years ago, would have been examples of what not to be. There are states where people can legally be discriminated against because they were born a certain way. Companies invest millions of dollars hiring specialists to make little girls feel like they need makeup to be beautiful, permanently lowering their self-esteem because they will never be pretty enough to meet those impossible standards. Corporations tell us, bye, 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 get this, get that, you must keep up, you must fit in, this will make you happy, but it never does for long. So what can we do in the face of all this madness and chaos? What is the solution? We can love. Not the love you hear in your favorite song on the radio. I mean real love, true love, boundless love. You can love, love each other from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. Perform an act of kindness because that is contagious. We can be mindful during every interaction. Planting seeds of goodness, showing a little more compassion than usual. We can forgive because 300 years from now, with that grudge you hold against your friend, your mother, your father have been worth it. Instead of trying to change others, we can change ourselves, we can change our hearts, we've been sold lies, brainwashed by our leaders and those we trust and not recognize our brothers and sisters and to exhibit anger, hatred and cruelty, but once we truly love, we will meet anger with sympathy, hatred with compassion, cruelty with kindness, love is the most powerful weapon on the face of the earth, Robert Kennedy once said that few will have the greatness to be in history, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events, and in the total of all those acts will be written the history of a generation. So yes, the world is coming to an end, and the path towards a new beginning starts. You know we've got to find 